Guys, today we are up to week 22 in the story, and we are going to do this a, a bit differently today. What I'd like you to do right now is, is look under one of the chairs in front of you, pull out one of those Bibles, and open with me to look at the story yourself. I want to encourage you today. We're going to go through this, and, and I, want, I, want, I want you to hone in on things and, and follow along, and, and, and we're going to try to extract out of here just some of what God has to say about our identity. Now we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2, all right? Ephesians 2, if you don't know where Ephesians is, use table contents, all right? Here we go. Now, we're going to key in beginning at verse 8, all right? And my bet is for those of you who have been trolling the church circuit for a while, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 um, are probably familiar to some of you. Uh, Some of you might even have it memorized. And uh, what I'd like us to do is get that on our lips this morning first, and from there springboard into some incredible things God has to say about our identity. So if you know it, just say it with me, otherwise read it, and it goes like this. For you have been saved by grace, you got it? Okay, all of us, ready? For you have been saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. All right? It starts there. To unpack what Paul is saying is he is saying we are saved simply because of God's goodness and grace. Grace is a gift. Grace means something free. What Paul is saying is that, you know, for those of us who think that somehow our way of getting right with God depends on what we do, winning him over, impressing him, checking off the right religious rituals, obeying more than we disobey, getting more good in our corner than bad. Paul is kind of blowing this out of the water here. He's going, no, guys, let me tell you, that's not how it is at all. You're saved by God's grace. He gives you salvation as a gift. He just says here, and the way that we make that gift our own is by something Paul calls faith which is kind of his way of saying, just taking it, accepting it, receiving it, going, you're giving me this gift, and yeah, thank you, I want it. He goes and he goes, it's not by works, guys. It's not by what you do so that no one can boast. So no one can go, you know what? God owes me. So that no one can look at someone else and go, you know, I hope that God God has mercy on you, but but you know what? He, He really owes me. It's so that no one can get caught in a trap of going, you know what, I'm worth something, and and, and God's got to deliver. What Paul seems to say is all of that is blown out of the water. We are all in the same boat, no matter what our pasts, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter our condition, no matter what our issues, and God comes to each of us and says, I want to save you. I want to save you, and I want to give you this thing called salvation because I love you. If you don't get this, nothing else is going to make sense, okay? Now, many people that I know that have trolled the church circuit and have a high familiarity with those two verses that we've just said usually stop there. I bet if I was to ask for a show of hands how many people have memorized or kind of memorized, which means you could fake it with other people, right? Right? 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I bet I would see some hands. But I bet if I then followed up and said, but who has Ephesians 2, 10 down, it would be like crickets in here, right? All right, thank you, brother. I'm with you. All right, all right, we got one. Because for Paul, the sentence does not stop at verse 9. Look at verse 10 with me. He says, for we are God's, and what does your translation say? I hear craftsmanship. I hear handiwork. We are God's handiwork. We are God's craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is what Paul is getting at. He's saying that when it comes to salvation, it is not an end in itself. I think for so many of us who are believers, think that salvation is the end of the line. Like kind of the buck stops there and we're saved, boom, we're done. Now for God's salvation is vital, but for God's salvation is a step. It's a stage. Because when God saves you, he wants to save you for something. It's not just saving you from something. And what Ephesians says is that what God saves you for is to do his good works. Because, see, God has a plan. And his plan is not just for you individually. He has a plan for this universe, for this cosmos, for this world. And God is in the process of unleashing that plan and bringing things to the way that he wants. And God says, you have a peace in that plan. He says more than that. He says, you don't only have a peace, you are the masterpiece. You are the craftsmanship. The handiwork. Now think about that word craftsman. There's a lot of things that I've made in my life. I would look at very few of them after the fact and go, that is craftsmanship. Right? How about you? But, but all of us, I think, at some stage in our journey, whether you're, you're a carpenter or an artist or a cook or whatever your kind of outlet happens to be, all of us, I think, at one point have developed something or made something and you kind of step back from it and go, that's it. You ever even have that moment where you're like, where did that come from? It almost takes a life of its own, and it comes out, and you look at it, and you go, that. That is, that, that is, my, that is my masterpiece. Now, the Greek word underlaying what got translated a few different ways here, craftsmanship or handiwork, you see that? It's poema, all right? It's where we get our English word poem from. And and this really isn't a bad way to think about it. In a way, you are God's poem. You are God's love song. You are God's masterpiece. You are that expression of who he is that he looks at and goes, ah, that's it. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like a masterpiece? doesn't matter. God says you are. And at the end of the day, that's what counts. And what the rest of Ephesians is going to do is unpack the nature of what that, that masterpiece, this craftsmanship that we are is all about. But instead of going down the road of like something literary, like a poem or a love song, he is going to take it in a different direction. And that's what I want to share with you here today. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is show you my absolute favorite building in the city of Chicago. Okay, here it is. It is the Wrigley Complex with, if you're looking in the background, the Tribune Tower there being, for me personally, the, the pinnacle of this area. Now, if you've never been down there, 
Um, It sits at the north end of the loop in downtown Chicago, not too far off Navy Pier. It starts right at kind of the gateway of that magnificent mile, you know, that miracle mile thing on Michigan Avenue there. And what's so amazing to me about this building is not just how it looks in, in its completed array from a distance, but a unique characteristic about this building that sets it apart for me from all other buildings in Chicago and, truth be told, any other building that I know about in the world. Now, you can't tell it from a distance, but if you were to get a little bit closer into this building, you start to realize something. The stones don't match. Do you see that? You can start looking up in this, and like there's a lot of similar stones here, but then you have like things like this, and like this, and like this. And you can start looking in, and there are these odd-fitted stones that don't match the rest of the building. To bring it up a little bit closer... You can also see that with these odd-fitted stones are little inscriptions telling you something about where this stone came from and oftentimes with it what its significance might be. All right, let me just show you a few of these. Here's one. I don't know if you can read that. It says, House in Leiden, Holland, used by the pilgrims as a church before their voyage on the Mayflower to America. So go back 400 years in history... And those pilgrims who came over on the Mayflower and landed on the East Coast, before they came, they met in a house. They met in a house of worship that defined them. What you are looking at is an actual stone from that building that has been brought over here and built into this structure called the Tribune Tower. Make sense? Look at this one. The original tomb of Abraham Lincoln, which was completed in the late 1800s and raised in 1901. And the stone that stood there around his body is now built into this wall. The Alamo in Texas. The Arch of Triumph in Paris, France. I don't know if you've ever been to Paris, but there at the center of the city is is the Eiffel Tower, and and this gateway stands almost as a door to it called the Arch of Triumph. And what it's meant to do is to signify and symbolize and remember the loss of life and the oppression during World War I and World War II, and the victory that came to the people of France over the Nazis and, and the German forces before them. Just think for a moment of what some of these stones witnessed and have seen. Here's one, the Berlin Wall in Germany. Or how about this a little bit more recently from the World Trade Center. Apparently, at the blast and the collapse, a piece of metal blew itself into a piece of rock. And now it's been built into this tower in Chicago. Or going back more, the Colosseum in Rome in 82 AD. So here we have, down on Michigan Avenue, there is this building that from afar looks like a unified structure. But when you come up close, it's made of all these different ill-fitting stones that the architects and builders have somehow managed to fuse together. Now go with me back to Ephesians. Paul says, you are God's handiwork, which seems to indicate that God is building something with you as a precious part and a precious piece. Now in verse 11, he says this. Now remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcision... Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. Okay, some quick definitions. First of all, who is a Gentile? Easiest way to cover the ground here. If you are not a Jew, 
you are a Gentile, all right? Which means Paul right now is speaking specifically to you. Now, he'll also call you the uncircumcised. And here's the reason why. See, in this day and age, people get circumcised regardless of their religious background. They do it for hygienic reasons. But back in that day and age, there was basically one group who did it, and it was the Jews. All right? Because everyone else in the world realized, why would you ever do that to your kid, right? So these catchwords started to develop. What's Gentile? The uncircumcised. Who are, who are the Jews? The circumcised. You see what he's doing here? You see how he's using it? What he means? So he says, you, remember you Gentiles, you, you who are called and labeled the uncircumcised, the ones not like us Jews, the ones that are different, Remember at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. Think about it this way. Last week, we shared this passage out of Isaiah that stands behind our roots and our identity. In 51, he says this, and I'll have you repeat it after me here again today. The prophet says this, look to the quarry, uh, look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. Unpack the metaphor. It's as if the prophet Isaiah is writing to the people Israel, to the Jews of the day, Abraham and Sarah. They are your forefathers. They are your ancestors. They are your line and through whom you find your identity and connection. But think of it as though God has a great stone quarry. And out of that stone quarry, God is hewning stones. He is cutting out stones to build something, something for his plans and his purposes. The people of Israel understanding themselves individually to be those stones. Paul comes around and says this, God was building something through Israel and you didn't belong. You were far away. You were excluded. You were on the outside. You belonged to a different quarry from a different place than that from which God was building his structure. But now you who were far away have been brought near. Now you who are far away are being built into that same structure from which God is quarrying stone to build his plans and purposes, which is another way of saying this. You are being built into Israel. If Israel is an amazing building that God is building, you are these stones that just don't fit. But God is taking you and shaping you and forming you to build you into his plans and purposes that he has had from the beginning of time. Are you with me? Now, go back and look at some of these stones. Take a look at this one. And don't look at the building around the stone. Look at the actual stone of significance itself. It's cracked. It's dirty. It's discolored. It's pitted. It's imperfect. Would you agree? Think of, the, think of what makes this stone significant. If it wasn't for the death of a man, the execution and murder of someone, this stone would be 
meaningless. This stone's entire identity was forged out of horror and suffering. This one gets its meaning from massacre, from sacrifice, from the mass loss of life. Think about what brought this stone its significance. Look at its imperfections. Look at its brokenness. Think of the oppression and pain and misery, the families torn apart, the persecution that this stone witnessed in its history. Think about this piece and what it had to see. And let's jump to the Colosseum. How many Jews and how many Christians were slaughtered as playthings, as entertainment on the face of this stone right here? See, I think a lot of us struggle to think of ourselves as handiwork because we look at ourselves and we don't see something that we would describe as craftsmanship. What we see is something very different. Instead, we see brokenness. We see cracks. We see where we're pitted. We see our imperfections. We see how we're dirty and faded and discolored. But let me tell you, isn't that what gives these stones its beauty? Isn't that what gives these stones its character? Isn't it out of those imperfections that something unique and deep, something that has character, comes forth? Ephesians will say that you are God's handiwork. But what he's not saying is that somehow you're polished and perfect because what God is in the business of doing is bringing beauty out of our deepest cracks. See, what God does when he forms things is he brings meaning and beauty and purpose more often from our deepest imperfections than the veneer of what looks good on the outside. And God says, I take these stones, I take each of you with your pits and cracks and brokenness, and I'm building you into something, something that towers, something that fits. What God likes to do is take pieces that shouldn't fit and make them fit. What God likes to do is take things that are imperfect and build them into something beautiful that stands as a testimony to who he is, something that would never be of the character and nature of what it was if everything was homogenous and clean. I mean, it's why Jesus will say things like this, isn't it? You are the light of the world. You will be something to see. You will be something in this world that I am building that stands as a symbol and a testimony of the grace and the beauty and the plans that I have for this world as I try to redeem it to me. If you're looking at Ephesians, what does Paul say? In verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. God is building you, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, the one who holds it all together, the one who holds it all up. And in him, the whole building is joined together. Who's that building? You. You. In him, that whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. It's not just any building. It's a place that's glorious to God, a place where his presence is going to be, a place where he dwells. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, if you go down to Michigan Avenue, 
They've built another building by this building. It's actually on Wabash, but from a skyline perspective, it's, it's close enough that they look as though they're, they're next to each other in contrast. Here it is. You see it there on the left going up? It's Trump Tower. Now think about the difference between Trump Tower and the Wrigley Complex. You look at Trump Tower and everything looks the same. Everything is clean and shiny and new. Everything is homogenous. Guys, give me Tribune Tower any day. Because it's, it's, it's uniqueness and differences and cracks. The pieces that just don't fit will blow that tower away any day. And that's the kind of building that Jesus is in the process of building. We are stones, Gentiles, hewn from many quarries, each with our histories, each with our cracks, each pitted and broken, each with hardship and history in many ways. But God says, you are my masterpiece, and I am building you into something. I'll blow you away. That's your identity. Let's pray. God, God in heaven, we, uh, we don't fit a lot of times, but you make us fit. God, by ourselves, we're just, just a stone. You, you choose us as something special to build into what you're doing here in this world. God, we're broken, we're crumbly, we're pitted. God, some of us have witnessed way too much, been exposed to way too much. Some of us, God, have existed for purposes which stand against you. But you still choose us. You love us. So shape us, O oh God, into your masterpiece. Take us and build us into that which you are building. Thank you, O oh God, we pray, for including us in this thing that you call Israel, for giving us the covenant and the promises, the blessings and your presence. Thank you, God, for making us your temple that you would dwell among us. God, may we give you our lives. May we be shapeable and sculptable. May we be a people who are willing to be formed by your hands. God, use us for your purpose. Today we pray. Amen.